Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 14 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, Steve H is sat with his finger on his mouth, kind of that thing you do at infant school to be quiet because it's taken us 10 minutes to get this far because we've just been giggling this morning. Uh, And it all started, he is there, he's just not talking, and it all started because he's got a bit of a cough. Uh, like that, like that. And we happened to get on to Bob Fleming from The Fast Show. And if you're of a certain age, you'll remember The Fast Show, won't you? Yes, Bob in the shed. Yes, Bob in the shed. <laughs> if you're of a certain we... certain age, you'll even remember who he was ripping off as well. There was what was that called? What was his name? Oh my lord! Um, that goes all the way back to a bloke who used to do DIY on TV in the sort of sixties and seventies. What was his name? Was he Barry? But he might have been Barry Bucknell. You're before my a, time now. He had a show. <laughs> where he would make things, you know, in his shed. Um, and I think Bob Fleming was was sort of inspired by such a person, uh, but with the added interest of uh, a lot of... Uh, a, 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 a lot of phlegm. A lot of phlegm. <laughs> <laughs> and then that got us on to every other fast show catchphrase which we've been doing. I wonder how many we can get in. Should we see how many we can get in through the course of the conversation? Uh, well, well, we can have a go, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. okay, fine. There's the challenge for today. Right, um, and I, I wanted to start by congratulating you. Everybody, um, so it's, it's Friday, Friday the 6th or 7th th- day, whatever it is, and everybody, uh, our, our patrons will be listening to Chapter 13 today. In fact, it goes live in an hour and a half. And they will hear... The most amazing croon cast, which is you uh, singing names over the party. Right. Well, I, you know, I'm running out of tunes to sing over, or tunes that I can actually play whilst not concentrating entirely on on playing. And, and uh, the party is one of those song, songs that um, you know I wrote that, that I wrote that in the first place anyway myself, and and so I find it sort of very easy to play. So, which gives me time to think about thanking, um, you know, and and scrolling down and reading the Excel spreadsheet, which I've painstakingly created over the last few months, and have um, never mentioned, which is which is, who <laughs> never mentioned, never mentioned, it's taking me much longer than doing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this thing's held together with gaffer tape. Houses, houses have been renovated in, <laughs> with less trouble than, than that spreadsheet, I tell you. But there we and are. It, it's a fine thing. And if I ever delete it by mistake or open my laptop <laughs> one day and it's gone, I'll probably set fire to myself. The prospect <laughs> of trying to rebuild it. 
Okay, straight into Wickerman territory, but we'll pull ourselves <laughs> back. So, if if you if you don't quite get this, because we I've just realised we don't on the podcast say before the, the what we call the Crooncast kicks in. So the Crooncast is where we thank everybody who's a Patreon uh, member, and everybody who joins and um, supports us on Patreon gets their name. Uh, originally, it was going to be read, but now it's sung at the end of the podcast. And I've just realised we don't actually ever really explain that apart from the first time we decided to do it. So I thought, well, I'll mention it again just so people know what it's all about. And then you you, you took it and, and really ran with it, didn't you, with the whole singing thing? Well, the idea of shouting people out and just reading reading their names um, was all right. But, but I do, I mean, I, I am sitting here right now, as you know, because you can, because you're psychic, um in front of a in front of a piano so i thought well Venus is there i could just do a little dooby dooby doo through it you know which will which will make it more interesting for me to do and for people to listen to hopefully if not a bit more random and uh, Hmm. of course i usually fuck it up and that makes it more amusing um (laughs) for me at least <laughs> I like the bit where you 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 you're singing and then you go, hang on a minute, just need to scroll down the spreadsheet. Coming, coming yeah. soon. I'll there there in a second. With you in a second. And Jenny Smith, who calls herself Andrew Robertson, for reasons I can't understand. Yeah, that that kind of thing. Right, right. If it goes on till Christmas, are you going to do something festive? Defo. Yeah. Right, okay. Fat wheels do a festive one anyway. Yeah, I might do one might do one in August. <laughs> this time. Do one now. Yeah. It's very tempting. Right, we'll do that off this week. Fine. Um so today um we're gonna talk about well, here's here's how today came about. An idea for a title for the podcast popped into my head, which means we've now got to talk about that as the subject because I like the title. That's so bit, we're gonna that's go the way with around, isn't it? But, well, but, yes, yeah. I know, but nobody but needs to know. We didn't get where we are today by being the no. right way round, did we? Nicely yeah. done. So what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is nice. Right, so um, You're I, I thought... Sh- short Anthony, really, aren't you? I know you I am. You changed it by deed poll, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you'd got above yes. three feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Making this podcast Sorry. is Sorry. very much like... Anyway... Um, so we, so the idea was to call the, this week's episode Under the Covers with Steve H, mm. which sounds actually pro- probably far more exciting than it might turn out to be. With a bicycle torch, which reminds me actually of, of, of um, when I was at school, yeah, we had this teacher called Mrs Kelly and she, no relation. And uh, she was <laughs> There's always our, a Mrs Kelly. There's always a, a Mrs Kelly. She was, a, she was kind of, I quite liked her. Uh, she was of a certain age and she, uh, you know, she, I don't know, back then she looked to me like she was 50, which means she was probably about 32 because um, I was young. And uh, she, she, had, she used to wear her hair in a bun so she, and, and she, was, she was very straight and up and down. She was our English teacher and she was also our, our, my form teacher which means that I was in, I think I was in 3K, something like that, because K for Kelly. But, but anyway, she, she was in, I, we, we used to come in, I used, we used to come in on bicycles, a lot of us, and uh, 
you used to have a bike lamp, you know, for the for the dark winter evenings. So you put your lights on when you went home on your bike, and and you couldn't leave your bike lamp on your bike. It was a school rule not to leave it there in case some scallywag nicked it. Uh, so you had to take your bicycle lamp off the front of your your bike and carry that with you. Uh, and she was at the blackboard one day doing the English and. Um, it occurred to me that I, if I shone my bicycle lamp, I could make quite a well-formed circle of light on her on her backside. Um, so I was making this. I was shining this little circle of light on her bum, um, and the class was sniggering. And every time she turned round, of course, I'd quickly switch it off, and she wouldn't work out. She couldn't. She knew something was going on, but she didn't know what it was. Anyway, um, I think I got away with it about three times and then, and, and then she spun around really quickly and nobbled me. And she called me to the front of the, the, the class and she stood me at the front and she put the flat of her hand on one side of my face and then hit me as hard as she could with the <laughs> other one. So I couldn't do that kind of fast turning away to break the impact thing, you know. I did the old comedy <laughs> thing. Um, anyway, so the, the mere, it's so sorry, but the merest thought of under the covers takes me to bicycle lamps, which takes me to Mrs. Kelly's bum, and the slap across the face. Carry on. And there's no problem. Was it ever ready, the, the, the bike lamp? Was it an ever ready one? They were all ever ready at the time, yeah, weren't it might, they? It might have been actually. I had a rally thought, bike, and uh, yeah, I think it was an ever ready. And it was mm. ever ready. Unfortunately, mm. so was she. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Bless you. If you're still out there, Mrs. Kelly, because you were 32 at that point, even though you look like 50. Um, Her her of the tight bun. Thank you for the brain damage, Mrs. Kelly, if you're still out there. (laughs) I'd be nothing (laughs) without it. We're starting to track all of this a long way back, aren't we? (laughs) Uh, Joining the dots with Steve H. Right. um, So anyway, under the covers, under the covers came because I thought I wanted to ask you about... I think there's been four times that Marillion have recorded a cover that's either gone on an album or has been commercially released. And by that, I mean either a single or a B-side. That's uh, and I was so thinking this morning, I'm sure it's going to create a shitstorm of controversy. And yeah, of course it is. think of another one. Why, why do you think I'm doing it? I think it's, <laughs> it's going to get... <laughs> no, no, I've struggled no. to, to find two. <laughs> They're going to be enraged when they hear this. So uh, everybody's going to go a deeper shade of purple. Um, um, so I think there's four, and I was going to ask you about all four, to see if, and then just to check we couldn't think of any more. So the first one's the most obvious one, and that, to me, is Dryland. So I think Dryland is the first cover... Marillion do and put on a an album. See, I would have now, missed that altogether. But yeah, you'd have missed that well altogether. Spotted. Well, it 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 was not written by the band, and it was released prior to that on a another album. So no, absolutely. I mean, in, in technically, a sense, you're quite right. It's just that. Yeah. So I was Dryland a red bucket moment then? No, Dryland was entirely down to Chris Neal, the producer of. Holidays in Eden. When 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 he came on board to produce the album, and I think I've sort of maybe gone through this before, but but when when his name was first suggested as producer for Holidays in Eden, everybody kind of went, "Ooh, I don't know about that." And um, 
we might, you know, the, the, the label said, no, just have a meeting with him and talk to him. So we had a meeting with him because Chris Kimsey was going to do it. And then the Rolling Stones wrote him a stiff letter and said he, he couldn't because he was in the middle of their record. Uh, and he was trying to do both. Um, and so then Chris Neal came into the frame and we had a meeting with him and he said, look, he said, my son is a huge Marillion fan and he's told me he will never forgive me if I screw your record up. He said, so you you just got to know that I'm going to put everything I've got into this record and it won't be a piece of, you know, it won't be just a pop record. It will be the record you want to make. Um, and in the end, I guess it sort of became both in a way because the record the band wanted to make was probably splintering art and this town 100 nights and all of that whereas the record he wanted to make was probably no one can uncover my eyes mm. and, um and he listened through to our jams and he he, he came in, he, he said well you've he said there's there's a, there's a hit on there that that cover my eyes jam is a hit if we if we if we do it right that's a great that's a great tune um and no one can's a hit Stonewall sitting there, he thought. Um, but you need three. And uh, he said, I he said, I really love that dry land song by uh, How We Live. Now, whether he'd been put up to that by somebody whispering in his ear from EMI, or whether he whether he'd heard whether he'd heard heard his son play it, you know, at home and gone, that's a that's a classic, you know. Um, it's the one that got away. But he wanted to do it. So it was entirely Chris Neal's idea. He, um, he said, I think it's a great song. I think it's got a great chorus and um, I think it would suit the band. I think you'd get, you know, you could get away with that and make it your own. And uh, we didn't really change it much from How We Live's original. No. no. So there we are. But it sits nicely on the album uh, to the point where I can see how you would think it wasn't a cover. If that, I mean, obviously it's kind of not because you're the you're the common denominator but um but okay fine so that was the first one that's the obvious one got the obvious one out of the way first then the second one which i suppose is that is actually the most obvious one is sympathy mm. well that goes way back to when we just met um we were you know they asked me to join the band and i said well can i kind of hang fire on giving you an answer until after we've kind of got to know one another better lived together I was once almost murdered by a bloke in a band, and I'm, I'm, you know, there's more, there's, there's more to being in a band than just making music. You have to not want to kill each other, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're both, <laughs> me and Ant are both sewing our lips <laughs> shut at this moment. But, but I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm unsewing them to carry on. Um, so we went away to Brighton. Um, to to the mushroom farm that, that had been converted to a rehearsal room and we, we lived together there. And we went out one night to, to a pub called the King and Queen, which is on that big green um, that you get to when you drive in, you know, opposite the, the, the pier, uh, the big pier, you know, the one with the Helter Skelter on it and everything. And uh, there's a big pub there called the King and Queen and it's usually full of people. I don't know if it's full of queens, um, but it's called the King and Queen. And um, 
we went in there for a drink. And sympathy was one of the songs. I said, oh, well, let's go and stick something on the jukebox for a laugh So because there was a jukebox. And Sympathy by Rare Bird was on there. And I said, oh, that is a killer song. That's a killer, killer song. And I don't think the boys had even heard it. And I go, which one's it? Or, or maybe Pete had because he's sort of aware of everything. But um, I don't think that everybody in the band was familiar with the track. And I said, oh, I'll put it on, we'll play it. It sounded fairly shit like everything does on jukeboxes. But it stuck with us. And so, um, you know, a few years later, when we did in fact work with Chris Kimsey, they brought him in to record two or three extra tracks for six or one and a half a dozen of the other. Is that right? Was it on there? Oh, no, it was on I that 10 album, wasn't it, that X? It was on X. It was on, it the, was on X. On with the big X on it. it yes, it was. Um, we um, we were a bit pushed for time to re- and and EMI wanted two new songs, and we'd we'd kind of written "I Will Walk on Water," um, and we needed another one in a hurry. So I said, "Well, why don't we do Sympathy then?" And everybody went, "Yeah." So that's how that came to be written. It was a consequence of hearing it on a jukebox in the, the King and Queen in Brighton when we first got together. And it ended up being a single, didn't it? It was the single from that from that compilation because you, you filmed a video for it, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I think the video is better than the, than the record, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I just thought that I think we kind of knackered it. Um, Again, you know, I mean, got to blame Chris for that, but it just got very bashy and crashy and mm. sort of, you know, slightly at odds with its own message. Mm. I think if you're going to write a song that has a message, then the music should share in that message. It's no good mm. writing. <clears throat> I mean, I've said this before, you know, quite often. I'll have a lyric about happy bunnies bouncing about on a meadow and, and you know, someone will have a piece of music that sounds like Nazis marching over graves. Um, you know, that just, it doesn't work. You know, you, 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 the music has to be in sympathy with the words, really, and paint the same pictures. And I don't, I, I much preferred the acoustic version we made of Sympathy later, Um which which I felt we nailed much better without mm. all that banging and crashing all over it and all that. Yeah, because I will walk Johnny's on water is a bit crashy, isn't it? Uh, that's that which probably suits the song a little bit, but that's a that's a bit more of a crashy, bangy though. You know, yeah, I reckon that's just Chris Kimsey doing his doing it. That's how he decided to see us. Um, yeah. You know, and he put the drums in a big stone drum room down at Metropolis Studios. Was it Metropolis? I think it was, um, and and it just ended up sounding like that. I remember being perfectly happy with it during the process, but when, when I listen to it now, it all just seems mm. a, bit, a bit wrong. Bangy and crashy. Yeah, too bangy, crashy. Run away. I'm too old for all of that. <laughs> <laughs> to listen to it, I mean, not to do oh, right. it. I'm perfectly <laughs> capable of doing it, but, you know. Too old to be enjoying listening to it. There's two kinds of music. Music that's fun to play and music that's fun to listen to and they're not always the same thing. Okay. 
I, I won't. I'm not going to pursue that one. I'm not going <laughs> to pursue that one at all. Um, because we end up with drummers like in Cathedral Wall. So let's just move on from there. Um, you you so, sound quite like Cathedral Wall, but there we go. There we go. Shut up, Steve. For fuck's sake, <laughs> shut up. Right. <laughs> so number three, number three on the covers list of what I think are covers in this kind of little remit we've set ourselves uh, is Fake Plastic Trees, mm. which you recorded and put out as a B-side, I believe, to These Chains, which was the single that came out, I believe, as well, before Radiation was was actually available. I think the single came out just before. And do you know what? I think I I was at a I was at I think it was it was either the the jazz cafe in Camden, yeah. and you uh, for a bit of an album launch party for Radiation. I was actually at that. Right, um, that was during the Sanctuary Management days. Yeah, they, yes, they, they arranged that. They did. Mm, but I think I think so. Fake plastic trees. You did an acoustic version on the Wall Show, mm. but then recorded it for the B side. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm gathering from your very blank expression. <laughs> I don't remember I no that knowledge of that at all. I remember, I remember putting it together in Oswald Street for the for that little gig at the walls. I do remember that. Whether that was the first time we'd ever tried to play it or not, or because I remember Mark playing the doo 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 on, on a little organ that, um, that. Phil Beaumont, who owns um, the studio in Oswa Street, he'd got a little, I don't know if it was a Hammond or what it was, but a fun, funny little organ, and we hauled that into the Walls restaurant when we did the show. Because, of course, just to reiterate, the, the whole point of that Walls show was um, an idea of Rothers. When we, when we moved into the studio in Oswa Street to mix whatever we were mixing, was that radiation? Will it, will it be in radiation? Yeah. Radiation? Well, he had this bright idea that he said um, there was this really good restaurant a short walk away called The Walls, which was a converted old school. And uh, we all went there for dinner and thought, oh, this is great. So it's, and, and it turned out that the guy who ran it was really into his music and, and was a little bit excited that we were in there. So I think at some point rather sidled over to him and did a deal <laughs> whereby uh, if we could eat there for nothing for the whole time we were doing the mix, we'd do him a gig on the end. <laughs> and he agreed to that. So we didn't have to pay for dinner. We went there every night and had sumptuous slap-up meals. And then at the end of it, we, we did a little gig in there uh, and, and we recorded it and that became the Unplugged at the Walls album. And I definitely remember Mark, you know, working out the little bit in uh, fake plastic trees on the little organ. So that was definitely, we definitely did it. Whether that was the first time, I'm not sure. I I think, mm. I, again, I'd been banging on about doing it because mm. I just thought it was a lovely little song. That's and a fantastic song. suit us and uh, I wanted to sing it. And it's a joy to sing as well. It's one of those songs that sort of, plays itself and runs itself mm. and looks after itself. A great song just looks after itself, melodically, chordally, everything. You know, it's not hard work. It just, you know, I do Famous Blue Raincoat by Leonard Cohen a lot when I'm doing the H Natural shows and it's just no effort. 
you know, to mm. play. The way, the way it moves around, there's nothing really to think about. I mean, I've still managed to fuck it up on occasion. <laughs> but, but I have no excuse because it is quite easy to play. I, I was sat here thinking I've heard you play that a few times and maybe you should have concentrated a bit more, but I didn't want to say it out loud, but you beat me to it. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, they, they Wish You Were Here always, I always think, that rem- fake plastic trees and wish you were here always feel like similar songs to me. I don't know why. Can't tell you why, but there's something about the two that always, you know. Yeah, that good. sort of tentative strummy uh, yeah. aspect. Yeah, I know what you mean, and a similar sort of mood, uh, a sort of melancholy. Um, you know, I th- fake plastic trees is a lot more intense, I think, lyrically. Mm. Um, but but wish you were here like so much of what what Floyd wrote back in the days when Roger was writing the lyrics. It's you know just wonderful words. Mm. Mm. I, it's funny because fake plastic trees. When I heard that, because I heard that cover on the single before I heard the album, uh, and then um, heard uh, now she'll never know on the album, which fe- again feels like halves of a similar coin not in terms of necessarily the, the what the lyrics driving at but just the the style of the song and the delivery don't know mm. maybe that's just me maybe that's just me can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail a smile from a veil you think you can tell i mean oh lord mm. don't don't i wish i'd written that you know mm. so, i mean the words are just sublime you know she lives with a broken man, a fake polystyrene man who just crumbles and burns. He used to do surgery for girls in the 80s. He's a plastic surgeon, you know. Mm. Uh, uh, but he's made out of plastic and he's crumbling and burning. It's beautiful. Mm. Well done, Tom. Nice one. Yes. And then the final one, until I'm told by any number of people that I've missed some, I think is Carol of the Bells. <laughs> Yeah, um, Carol of the Bells was was a lot of fun to do. That that was Mike Hunter's idea. Um, you know, he play he he played as it. I mean, obviously we were familiar with it from way back when, but he played as a version of it, and we we also oh, that's that we could have a lot of fun with that. But I think we had too much fun with it, to be honest. Um, I mean, it was a it was a bit of fun. Um, but I think when, when we got around to whenever, I mean, whoever made the decision to actually release it, uh, should have taken a knife to it at that point and released something that was a bit more concise and didn't just go on and on and on. And cause it, you know, it starts off and you go, oh, this is quite cool. And then, and you know, and then it gets bigger and it gets a bit more choral and you go, oh, this is really nice. And then a band comes in and then it gets a bit prog and you go, oh, it's got a bit prog now. And, you know, and then it just goes on and on and on and I can't stand to listen to it because it just goes on. And then at the very end it goes all James Bond, you know, and Mo- and Mosley drives away in the Aston dressed as Santa and you go, oh, that's great. What a shame that didn't happen about ten minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think it needed a massive edit personally, but... Uh, I don't think Mike did. I mean, he was, he, you know, he thought it was a shame not to go with the 
with the entire lens, as the actress said to the bishop. And that's, and that's what we got. <laughs> um, so that, that then leaves me with, so obviously write in, send us a postcard if you think there's things I've missed. Um, yeah. um, I, I'm sure we'll find out. But that then leads me to the question I really wanted to ask, which what oh. all this episode has been about, which oh. is why haven't Marillion released a Christmas tune proper? Yeah, well, there's, well, there's no pension plan, is there? <laughs> we've we've sort of had a run at run at it a couple of times. Um, you know the way we jam, uh, the way we write by jamming um, has occasionally produced jams that just are inherently jingly and Christmassy, and we've all gone, "Whoa, that sounds really Christmassy." Um, you know, and then I've gone away with those and tried to write a lyric. I mean, it's just always felt so contrived. Um, I've never managed to come up with a set of words that I would personally, if I heard them, believe were true, um, that, you know, are in the right time and, and scansion and tempo to sit with something the band's done that, that feels Christmassy. So we've come close, and and I wouldn't say it'll, ne- it'll never happen. But if it if it ever happens, it'll happen naturally, and it, it'll fall into our laps mm. because we're unable, or I, you, you know, I'm not the kind of lyricist who is terribly comfortable writing, uh, you know, writing something completely to order that that stiffly scans with a certain musical idea. Um, I've, you know, I've been forced to do it in the past and um, I've usually ended up wanting to commit suicide. Um, you know, in a way, the worst thing that could happen is is that we, we manage, you know, that I manage to deliver a lyric which sits on a piece of music the band have written that's quite Christmassy that sort of does the job and put it out and have a... I mean, the, if it was a complete flop, that would be a, a crime because then we would have created a piece of rubbish for no reason. And if it was a, a, a massive success, it would be a millstone around our necks forever and ever, amen. So that's what you call a lose-lose. Mm. Um, yeah, and it would make you some money. But then... I don't know. I was going to say I could sell my ass in Soho and make some money, but I probably couldn't these days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not that we're we're not that desperate yet. <laughs> so, but that's the reason. I mean, it's it's because we just haven't managed to do it. It's not because we'd be reluctant to do it. And if if we wrote a really good Christmas tune, and let's face it, there aren't many. I mean, the, the, nothing's going to be a fairy tale in New York ever in my head, you know. Mm. And I saw, I saw, um, in fact, I heard a radio report. Me and Phil Brown were driving, we were doing the H Natural tour years ago and we were driving down from Glasgow after the Glasgow show. It was a long drive. And there was a great program on Radio 6 and it was the biography of a fairy tale in New York and they interviewed the Pogues and, and Steve Lillywhite they'd interviewed as well. 
the brilliant Steve Lillywhite, who I once insulted. Um, and um, it was not conceived as a Christmas song at all. It was conceived as a, a sort of a, a song about, I don't know, about the countryside or something. You know, dun, 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 such, such great tunes, you know. It's a sort of Irish folk song. Mm. And um, I think I think the lyric was rewritten two or three times, you know, in completely different ways. And it slowly, over time, metamorphosized into this this song, this this song about uh, a couple of a couple of immigrant Irish in in, in New York. Celebrate, trying to celebrate Christmas. You know, he's a drunk, and or he's, you know, all her dreams have, ru- have been ruined by him. <laughs> um, and it's just a brilliant, brilliant, tragic, s- tragic song. <laughs> it's quite a bitter song. Um, and yet, there's this feeling that on Christmas Day, when the bells ring, you know, all that has to be put to one side, and that you know the the tragedy and the bitterness has have to be put to one side and just for that just for that day or just for a moment in that day you've got to be thankful and lighthearted for being alive and that's what that song says to me and I I can't imagine ever beating that I can't imagine mm. anyone beating it to be honest well, I think you either love it or hate it with, with most Christmas songs because you hear them every Christmas without saying, so, uh, so you go, oh, God, here it is again. Yeah. Um, whether you once loved it, you sort of, it wears a bit thin for the 50th year running. And yet that Slade song's amazing as well because the fact that it's been so successful has almost masked the fact that musically it's a mad piece of music. The way the mm. chords work and the, you know, the chorus, um, you know, uh, mm. the way those chords move on the end of the chorus is just so wrong. It's not what you mm. do to write a commercial hit, um, which again, you know, makes it genius because it's so very, very unconventional as a piece of music and as a piece of writing. Um, but nobody ever notices that anymore because it's it's in everybody's skin and, and meat now, isn't it, from years after years. My, um, I'm with you on Fairytale of New York. My other my other fave is I Believe in Father Christmas by Greg Lake. I'll All right. Stop loving that. I think that's just... Uh... But again, downbeat lyric. Downbeat lyric. It is, you know. yes. It's... it's um... I used to like that Jethro Tull one, you know. You know that song once in Royal David City? Mm. The lonely cattle shed where her mother held her baby. You'd do well to remember the things he later said. It's just fantastic. Mm. Right, well, in, in, as we approach August, we'll leave that conversation about Christmas tunes alone, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 you know, we'll 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 take a sidle over uh, to the diary, uh, which 
uh, I believe, which actually is Christmassy, actually, because the diary is the 7th of December we're going to be joining you this week. So, yes. uh, I was in Utrecht, so, I think. I think yes. starting with a day off when you try munching around the market, aren't I? Yes, you are. Well, I read I read it this morning. I read it this morning, uh, and and I have a I have I have the question uh, for when you finish. Actually, I'm very proud okay. of it. Okay. Uh, you know, so, Does it uh, involve tortures in bed? No. Nope. Or anything? No. Nope. <laughs> no. No. Or being no. tortured in bed. No. Uh, or or Miss or Ms. Kelly. No, she's nowhere near my next question. Uh, but right, I'll I'll let you prepare yourself mentally and physically for I'll just, diary. I'll just settle down, try and get the last one of these frogs out of my throat. You should see the frogs here. The sink's full of them. They're everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. They're everywhere. Ribbit. <laughs> oh. Saturday, 7th of December, Utrecht, day off. Woke at 10 and couldn't really sleep, so I showered, dressed and went out for a walk. There's a street market outside the hotel on Saturdays, so I had a wander round. Lots of fish stalls, sea fish still gasping their last moments of life. How do they get them here so quickly? They were too big to have come out of the canals. Went to a shop to buy a clock and nearly bought a lamp. Came to a cafe for breakfast and here I am, scribbling. I'm going to go back and buy those lamps if they take plastic. I went back and decided against it. 400 quid. And what if Dizzy hates them? She'll think I'm nuts. Went back to the hotel and spent the afternoon snoozing. In the evening we all went out for an Indonesian. Of course, this is Holland which was lovely, if not a little hot, at both ends. Sunday, 8th of December, Utrecht to Dortmund. Had a bit of a lie-in and got up at 11 to check out of the Hotel Smith at 11.45. Packed the Walkman speakers away. I've been listening to homemade compilations of Talk Talk, Thomas Dolby, Kate Bush, Power Station, Grace Jones, Crowded House and Bowie, along with the odd Furs track and Peter Gabriel's piano and voice rendition of Here Comes the Flood, which is exquisite. Waited around in reception watching my Mexican jumping bean from Stockholm, naturally, twitching about until the tour bus arrived to take us to Dortmund. Once again, the hotel was walking distance from the gig, which makes the day a lot easier for everyone, and an hour or so usefully longer. Sound check went well, so I returned to the hotel and went to bed. It was dark, so I left the curtains open to a view of the communications tower and moving headlights on the distant rush hour highways. A reminder of the alternative lifestyle it has been my destiny and luck to enjoy. The show was well attended, but after the euphoria of Utrecht, I could only feel something missing. I keep saying it, but most bands would kill for a reaction like this, so it feels churlish not to enthuse about tonight. The Dortmund crowd was great. It's just that the bar is so high. In other words, we're so damned spoiled. Anyway, I feel I could have done more. 
After the show, I was cajoled by a Polish ice skater into swapping my tour shirt for his. He said it was for a friend who had toured the world with him, never coming out of his hotel room and listening constantly to Marillion. Sounds like a drummer I know. Monday, 9th of December. Dortmund to Hanover, capital. It was one of those non-stop days. Drove to Hanover to check into a hotel which looked like a sleeper carriage from the inside with staff who didn't want to know. Saving grace was the health centre, which was luxurious but deserted. Not for long. I had half an hour in the solarium and a dip in the pool, which made me late to depart for Radio Hanover. That might not be the name, actually. After an interminable taxi ride with a chain-smoking cabbie, I had a quick interview with Tom, the DJ, followed by one song live. It's all we have time for. Sorry. I squeaked through waiting to happen, realising for the first time how hard it is to sing so high so early in the day. Back to the hotel, through slow-moving, dense traffic, I swapped cabs and off to the show, a sort of club-stroke-disco. The stage was small, but I immediately had a good feeling about it. Fish had phoned in the morning to say he'd heard we were skint and proposed a grand reunion festival. He's being very chummy, speaking to Priv, and wants us to come to his show on our day off. The band phoned John and diplomatically declined all offers. He really does believe he's Peter Gabriel, said Rothers. I stayed out of it. The show was great. The club packed. After the show, we had a drink with Anna B and Louise B from EMI. There were enough loose screws around the table, including mine, to make a Meccano set. Tuesday, 10th of December. Hanover, Köln, Augsburg. Up at 6.30 on the bus for the four and a half hour drive to Cologne. Dozed until 10.45 and debunked in the hope of being half alive for the live radio performance on WDR at 11.45, which is when we arrived after having walked across town with two acoustic guitars and a Roland D50, which Jack was carrying over his shoulder. It turns out that the radio show ends at 12, so there was no time to do anything except sing and play untunable freezing cold guitars. Croaked my way through waiting to happen without a vocal mic, said thanks to Hans, the producer, and went for a coffee at the cafe opposite the magnificent twin-spired dome cathedral with Christina from EMI. Back on the bus for another six and a half hours down to Augsburg and arrived at 8.30. Showered up and went walk about with Jack into the cold night. Later learnt that the temperature was minus 15 centigrade. It certainly felt bloody cold. Found Priv, Trevor and Alan P, sound, keyboards and lights respectively, in the little bar we'd discovered on the previous visit. Name escapes me. And was welcomed warmly by Karen, Brigitte and Ali, who looks like a villain from a Bond movie. Ali made us fab pizza and chilies while the girls served beer and schnapps. Strolled briskly back to the hotel, noting a unicycle in a toy shop window, which must be purchased for the good of all tomorrow. Wednesday, 11th of December. 
Augsburg, Schwabenland, Halle. Dreamt my toilet had overflowed all over the room when I flushed it. What can it all mean, Sigmund? Woke up around 10.30 and went to the solarium for 20 minutes, wrapped up warm and went walkies through the Christ Kindlemarkt in the square. This consisted of a great many stalls selling Christmas tree decorations, along with wooden toys, candles, coloured lights, cakes, pastries, and interspersed more than liberally with refreshment stalls selling glue vine and, of course, sausages. I returned to a music shop I'd spotted and bought sleigh bells for the Lennon song. I think I've still got them. Saw nice boots for Fee, but didn't know her size. What is size 8 in Europe? Back to the Hotel August, nice curtains, and off to Radio Fantasy for another chaotic acoustic recital. DJ didn't seem to know me from Adam, but by all accounts got very excited afterwards. Felt duff at the sound check and went back to the bus to sleep. Never really recovered and apologised to the band afterwards for an uninspired and unbothered performance. The audience figure was a much improved but paltry 800 after initial sales of only 400. So maybe the radio broadcast helped. After the show I was photographed by some chap, can't remember, for his state diploma. He seemed very good. I can usually tell. Got back on the bus, went to bed, and my bed went to Bonn. Thursday, 12th of December. Bonn, Biscuit Haller. Up at six to check into the day rooms at the President Hotel Bonn. Okay. Had breakfast with Ian and went to bed. Woken by John Arneson at 12, phoning from London. The lighting truck has broken down and was repaired too late to reach Bonn. It's gone straight to Mulhouse and we're hiring lights locally. Phew. Chaos at the gig. Typically the crew had it all sorted in time for a 5.30 sound check. Alan Parker programmed the entire show between sound check and showtime despite losing two hours work when the desk computer crashed at five. It never rains. If there's any justice, fate will shine on that boy. As for me, I walked around Bonn all day looking for furry boots for Fifi and ended up buying nutcrackers. I know. I felt duff again before the show. There was a presentation of gold and platinum discs to the rest of the band for back catalogue sales. They wanted me in the photo, so gave me an engraved plastic thing which said two... H from your friends at EMI Germany. I was touched that they used the word friends. I headed for the stage trying to fight off shadows of futility. I'm killing myself here and the punters are buying misplaced childhood in ever greater quantities. These thoughts were quickly dispelled by the best audience ever in Germany, among contenders for the best audience ever, period. Amazing. I got carried away and pulled every muscle in my body. Went out for a beer with Peter Riga, then on to the bus for Mulhouse. Friday the 13th of December. Mulhouse, Phoenix. Climbed off the bus, badly beaten, at 8am, but was revitalised spiritually by the sight of French soil. 
I do love this country. The Park Hotel is lovely and after coffee with the chaps, I checked into a beautiful corner room, had a bath in the hope of deadening considerable muscular pain and climbed into the cricket pitch-sized bed. Couldn't really settle and got up again at 12 to go walkies round Mulhouse, which turned out to be closed until 2. Spent the time in a cafe drinking minuscule cafe cremes and writing this diary. When the shops opened at two, I bought Fifi boots in the shop next door. By this time I was lost, but it turns out that I was outside the Phoenix, so I went down to catering and had scrambled eggs on toast. Then the runner took me back to the hotel. I went back to bed again and didn't sleep again until sound check. My voice felt strained. Recorded a number for Julia Simpson at GWR, a radio station in Bristol, on DAT. That's digital audio tape, folks. Back to Hotel du Parc and finally managed an hour's sleep. The show was okay. The audience seemed pretty stiff, which came as a surprise as they seemed a lot looser last time. After the show, I had a quick drink at the hotel with Gerard, Jeanne and Michael. Gave Gerard the yellow submarine badge he'd admired back in Nice. The hotel staff were lovely. Most of them had been at the show and receptionist Valerie said it was the best show she'd ever seen. Bless her cotton socks. Saturday, 14th of December. Molou's home. Up far too early at 8.30. Breakfast in bed, care of room service and checked out at nine. We flew from Moulouse to Paris Charles de Gaulle where we learnt that connecting flights were non-existent due to fog at Heathrow. Oh no, it's always when you're going home. Ray managed to get us onto a Boeing 767 which can auto-land in fog, Category 3 equipment apparently which, although due out at 2.30, left around 3.30. Back at Terminal 4, the fog was thick and no one saw the ground until we touched down. At the baggage carousel, the bad news became evident as we watched and waited. It took another hour to be certain our bags were still in France. Called a cab and stopped on the way home for a Christmas tree, but didn't like them. Arrived home at 5.30. Fifi didn't like the boots. Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde was on telly. And we're back. Uh, and that was, uh, and that was a, a little dollop of December Diary. And the question that I'd been working my way up to ask you was, you sat in a hotel lobby... Playing with your Mexican jumping bean. Hmm. Now, I'm trying to remember if the Mexican jumping beans were just those little things. You bought ones of them and you put them down and they moved of their own accord. They, like, exactly. twitched. Is I that had, what it was? I think I had two of them. Or could even have been three. And, yeah, they were a bit very similar to coffee beans. And you put them in the palm of your hand and you just wait. And after a while, they start nudging about, like an act of utter, unworldly magic. (laughs) 
and I got them of all places in Stockholm in Sweden. They were a they were a little, little gift, and um, and so I cherished them and I took them everywhere with me. And um, I during obviously during that point of the tour, they were uh, they were they were alive and active. And um, what actually goes on with those those things? First of all, I don't know if they're from Mexico, but they're called Mexican jumping beans. God alone knows where they come from, but I got mine in Sweden. Um, and there's a little creature, you know, that lays an egg inside the um, the plant before the beans develop. And when the beans develop, there's um, um, what would you call it? Um, that you know, the, the, there's an egg inside it which mm. hatches and produces a little uh, animal inside. And as it grows, it eats the bean. The, the bean becomes the food for it. When I say bean, it is quite hard, like a coffee, like a roasted coffee bean, to look at. And um, as it sort of comes to life and starts to twitch, the beans start to jump about, and the heat from the palm of your hand is enough to get them going. I think they just sort of sit there fairly, um, you know, fair, in, in a state of suspended animation when they're cold. But when you pop them on, on the palm of your hand and wait, they start to move about and the beans start wriggling. And it's great. So that's what that's what's going on. I'd, I'd be holding one now if I could get my hands on another one. So it was. It was that was the fidget spinner of its time, then, wasn't it? Better than a fidget spinner. Well, I mean, yes, was, yes, yeah, yeah. No, well, no, because it, they weren't that popular. It's not like they were in all the shops, man, and it oh. was the it was the craze of that that winter or anything. I'd just been given them as a as a gift, as a as a as a as a, as a magic thing. Um, and so I, I, I kind of had them in my pocket, and for the whole tour, whenever, I, whenever I had a quiet moment, I'd get them out. <laughs> when you had a quiet moment, you'd get your beans out, I your would. magic beans. I'd get my right. beans out, and I would wait for the magic to happen. <laughs> Can't top that. <laughs> and then the other thing that you mentioned, because I, you know, I don't pick up on the big things, so I should really ask you the question about fish getting in touch and wanting to know if you guys wanted to do some form of reunion festival because he assumed you were all skint. I should ask you that question. I really yeah. should. I've got no but, memory of that. I mean, it's written down, so it must have happened. Yeah. But, 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 but that isn't the bit that attracted my attention. I, my attention was attracted by the jumping bean and then by the dream you had thinking that your toilet had overflowed. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and did I, you ever I, get to the bottom of that? I even half remember that. Um no, there's nothing to get to the bottom of, is there? You just kind of wake up and go, "Wow, I wonder where that came from." So you didn't um, try and get it interpreted? No, no, no. I don't find myself that interested. You know, I think I think you you you're on a slippery slope. <laughs> you start with all that. <laughs> Better off letting it all happen and leaving it alone, in my opinion. Right, right. You don't want to be poking your Sticking all of that stuff at the bottom of the river and wiggling it about. You better leave in the water clear. In which case, we won't 
<laughs> we won't <laughs> agitate your murky water. Fine words for a man who spent his entire professional career doing just that. <laughs> just that, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, the irony was a little thick, but it's fine. It's fine. Do you know what we have done, though? We've failed miserably in a lot of fast show references. Oh, uh, we yeah, we've hardly we haven't shown she owned many of them in at all, have we? No, 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 but it probably uh, get dull, wouldn't it? Well, I, I yeah, but I was we telling can... you before we started, before we went live, um, I still often write, I'll get my coat at the bottom of emails I send to the band when I've had an idea. You know, why don't we do this? I'll get my coat. Because, you know, that kind of awkward silence as everybody <laughs> thinks. Shall we tell him it's a shit idea or will we just say nothing? I'm, I'm, Surely not. I'm well used to those. <laughs> Surely not. Surely you don't get those kind of moments with the rest of the band. But they're only right 90% of the time. There yes. is that 10%. Yes. <laughs> that, you, that you crave and you cherish and you hang on to. When, it's at, when I'm actually right. Right. But it's still too dear. <laughs> in which case uh i shall i'm going to figuratively i'm going to get my coat and we'll we'll wrap it up for, ah, for chapter okay. 14 with are air you, with air are you zipping or buttoning um i button as a ah. rule uh, uh I, I i button as a rule i don't tend to zip i mean some things have to zip don't they if it's some form mm. of thing to keep the weather out it tends to zip but i, I like i like buttons if i'm being mm. honest i think i'm probably fairly zippy are you yeah, yeah. So I'm just thinking, trying to think through my outer apparel. On a, on right. And it's all pretty zippy. Well, I, I think my favourite's button as well. You know, the zip first and then button. Ah, the double whammy. Yeah. A zip, a, a zip and a button. Mm. Right. Mm. Okay. Okay. So that's mm. down, that's you, isn't it? You just literally want it all. Well, if I could have it all, there'd be toggles as well. Oh, well, I like a toggle. <laughs> oh, I do like a toggle. There's something about a grown man in toggles that's always slightly suspicious, in my opinion. But, but there, oh, there I don't know. Are. I don't know. I don't know. I like a toggle. I could see you've got a coat with a toggle. Oh, you've got. I think you've actually oh, you had, had a coat with Peruvian. toggles. On. I did big. The Peruvian jacket was sort of had bone toggles. Didn't you have a black oh, jacket that had toggles as well? Did I have a what? A black jacket, like a wintry type jacket, a thick, thick kind of jacket that had toggles as well. I'm sure you did. I did have a pink duffel coat at one point, um, but even the pink duffel coat didn't have toggles. And yeah. nobody's going to argue with that. We all we all remember that. You There's some scarring there. You don't see a lot of them around. No, you know. No, there's probably a reason, a very they good ne- reason why you don't. Caught on. No, no, <laughs> unbelievably. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been such a shock to the pink dufflers of this world that I it never happened. I bought it in Windsor in a shop that is still there because uh, it was down Lower Pes- Pescod Street in Windsor not that long ago. And there is a there is a clothes shop on the right if, if you walk in with the castle behind you down Lower Pescod Street. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's got a bloke's name. Like Anthony Short, but it's not called yes. Anthony Short, but it's got that kind of name, and that's where I bought the pink duffel coat. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, whenever I'm in Windsor and I walk past that shop, I uh, the pink duffel coat, 
I think it's still in the roof at the racket club. I might, uh, I might rehabilitate. I might rehabilitate it. Is the storage up there? Is there insulation? Which? which... Oh no, there's 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 a there's just a piece of metal up there, which is part of the structure of the roof that I discovered one day. Coat hangers would would fit on, and so all my. <laughs> Well, every time we've moved house, I've emptied wardrobes and gone, Jesus Christ, where am I going to put this stuff? It's all gone in the roof at Racket, uh, along with all my, you know, old stage clothes of various, mm. and everybody else's old stage clothes for that matter. So it, it's a bit of an emporium up there. How um, many pairs of black jeans and T-shirts of brothers are up there then? There must be hundreds if it's all these old stage clothes. Well, they're mostly jackets. I don't know what all happens right. to brothers' jeans. Big yellow story. That was Joni Mitchell, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> that would be a good spoof title for that song. Yeah, that's going to end up. That's going to end up being a podcast title coming, <laughs> coming soon. Coming to a podcast near you. Right, go on. Let's let's call it a day for this week because we've just tiptoed over a ridiculous length for this one. So, uh, so thanks everybody for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and I guess we'll, uh, we'll 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 talk to you next week. Unless you've got anything sublime to finish with, uh, sublime. Well, it's a lovely day. That's sublime. It is a lovely day. I'm looking at a tree out the window. That's most definitely sublime. And it's Friday, which means that it's drinky day. Yes. Uh, so there'll be uh, there'll be sublime things happening about tea time in my world. But um, having stayed off the source all week. Well done. There'll be, uh, there'll be a sublime GNT coming my mm. way. All being well, unless I'm d- denied it for some reason. I have to go to a hospital or something. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. In the back it's of the ambulance, and I know it's pressed to the glass. <laughs> what about a GNT? <laughs> um, um, you want fever tree, not a fever. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking maybe a Pims today. I think it's got the feel of a Pims kind of day. Some. I was Got managed, everything we need. I was managed once by a guy called Jonathan Hodge, and he was a jingles writer. I told you this. And he used to no. hire a studio and go into the studio with, with a bo- two bottles of champagne and a bottle of that, what was that cough medicine that used to make you hallucinate? Oh, shit, I can't remember the name of it. Not Night Nurse. No, no, no. But oh, Bendelin. Bendelin, there you go. Benelin. I think he had, no, two bottles of Bendelin and a bottle of champagne. And he used to knock them all back together, and they used to give him inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, for a for a top Friday drinky night treat, I would recommend I would recommend that if you're not doing anything on Saturday. Right, champagne and Benelin. <laughs> <laughs> champagne and Benelin. <laughs> Uh, if, we'll put a link on the on the show notes if we can find a recipe to how you mix it. Um, <laughs> right. Him. Oh, I can tell you a good story about him. Ask me about Jonathan Hodge on the next podcast. Right, right. I shall ask you about John. I'm going to write it down now. Did I ever tell you about him and the Ray, Raymond Review Bar, Paul Raymond? No, but leave it there because it's a teaser now for next week. Oh, it's a good one. They'll be, they'll be, they'll literally, they'll be flooding back. Um, Jonathan that's, Hodge, Raymond yeah, Remute. That was my brush with gangsterism. I had a bit of a brush with gangsterism yeah. when I was younger. 
I've written it down. Folks, you're going to get it next week. Right, we'll call it a day. Um, I'll get uh, on with just... Croncast. Yeah, you get on, yeah, get on with the Croncast. I will uh, uh, put a bit Pikachu more to, on the piano uh, and get it going. Yes, yes, to a bit of Wizard or whatever Christmas <laughs> tune you're going to pick. And uh, <laughs> Roy, Wood, Roy Wood once asked me what I was on. It was one of the, one of the greatest moments of my life. I thought Roy Wood has just asked me what I'm on. Shit, I must be further out there than I thought. Oh, that must have been a three bottle of Benelin day that day. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Right, let's go and let's go and continue with the world. Um, bye, everybody. Take care. Stay safe. Stay purple. Bye, everybody. <laughs> you, you can't wave. Is that H is waving. You oh, can't no wave. Point waving is there? No, can you hear that? Can you hear the wind coming off that? No, probably not. Can you hear hear the jumping beans jumping? Oh, for fuck's sake. Thank you. Pete Farney and Peter Newton And Ian Thank you for being purple John Tons Help me recite Carmen Julia Quintero Thank you Peter Hamden Dean Hiles Mindy and Drew Christmas Tracy Lloyd and Claire Watson and Andy Ewell and Chris Dawkins. Thank you, Beverly Baker and Johannes Lindgren, Manuela Gerber. Simon Godfrey. I've got to do the boom, bam, bam, Tom McGrade, or McGrade, sorry Tom, to know. Robin Lauren, and Jackie Lawler. Thank you, Mark Wagstaff, and Kirsten Dirks. 
Gareth too And Daniel Thank you Mark Wilson Mark Lester McDonald and David Engels and Bill Duncan and Kevin Fox Mary Slough Rick Klein and Susan Lindahl and Robert Thank you, Suzanne Sacone, Jude Dale, Sarah Bridgman, Nicole Baffin-Schmidt, Andrew McFarlane. Thanks, Matt Hussey and Uwe Bell. Not forgetting Andy Meany. Tim Kirkland Dominic Mooney Andy and Janice Welch Andy Field and David Slater Johan van Maren Thanks, Wilco Hollander. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.